I have an Android OS on my shell, and then I connected it with a VOIP. So now I can take phone calls with my shell, right? <laughs> so now I open my shell's mobile app, and I have another phone on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Linux for Everyone is made possible thanks to a long-term partnership with Tuxedo Computers. And it's also made possible by our amazing Linux for Everyone patrons, like our newest superfans, Timo and George. Thanks a lot, guys. Hi, my name is Philip, and we are listening to Linux for Everyone in Germany. Welcome home. Hey everybody, Jason here. Welcome to episode 49 of Linux for Everyone, and welcome home. This is, of course, the show that discovers, discovers, that explores the uh, exciting world of desktop Linux open source software and the community creating it. And of, and of course, that does have, uh, discovery does have a lot to do with that rabbit hole that we go down every week. That is, of course, why I try to do a uh, Discovery of the Week segment on every episode, because it seems like there is just always an abundance of incredible and, and useful utilities or apps that, uh, that can just make our life a little bit better with our, our day-to-day Linux workflow. I'm excited to get to this week's, but first, I want to get a little housekeeping out of the way, and then we are going to jump into that Discovery of the Week, an interview with the Shells.com team. And at the tail end of the show, I'm actually going to read your (laughs) thoughts on privacy, which I promised to do last week and completely forgot. So (laughs) shame on me for that. I'm so sorry. Uh, Okay, let's get some housekeeping out of the way because there has been a flurry of activity lately and uh, I want to let you know about some of it. Okay, number one, next week. Episode 50, Ask Me Anything. I've got about six or seven questions from you guys so far, but I need more. I would love to get at least 10 so that we can have a nice meaty conversation and uh, and answer some of your burning questions, whether that's about, uh, you know, my life in Croatia or the, uh, the Linux for Everyone organization or, uh, I don't know, what my favorite first three tracks of an album are. <laughs> Just uh, get creative and and send me a question to Linux for everyone at pm.me. That email again is Linux for everyone at pm.me. Now uh, don't confuse that with the website URL, which is Linux the number four everyone.com. And if you go to Linux the number four everyone.com backslash social, you'll find out where you can hang out with uh, all of the extended Linux for Everyone community, which is growing and growing and becoming so much fun and frankly, a little bit addicting. Uh, You can find us on Matrix, on Mastodon, on Twitter, on Discord, and on Telegram. Next on the list, uh, this week I guest hosted 
an episode of Talking Drupal, which is hosted by Stephen Cross and friends. Uh, it was episode 296, and it's it's safe to say that Linux took over that episode. It was uh, basically a, an interview about my um, my history at Forbes and my uh, kind of my approach to building the Linux for everyone community, my philosophies on how to how to welcome in new Linux users, and just it just ran the gamut. It was an amazing conversation. I had so much fun with those guys. So I would implore you to check out that episode. It's probably going to be released by the time you hear this. And if not, uh, make sure you go to talkingdrupal.com and look for episode 296, okay? Uh, I also love what they say at the very end. Their, their tagline, you know, ours is take care and take care of each other. And theirs is, if you enjoy listening to us, we enjoyed talking. <laughs> That's the perfect podcaster sign-off, I have to say. This episode's Discovery of the Week was inspired by Apple's AirDrop feature. And if you're not familiar with that, it's basically a very simple utility that lets you share a file with other Apple devices on your network. Fortunately for us, snapdrop.net is exponentially better than AirDrop. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, I'll tell you what, if it's safe for you to do so, And if you have two internet-connected devices at your disposal right now, grab them both. Open up a browser on each device. It doesn't matter which browser. And go to snapdrop.net. That is snapdrop.net. Okay, so I have snapdrop.net opened on my Android phone and also on my production machine, my desktop. What I see is that uh, I can interact with a device called Crimson Gazelle, and these are completely randomized names. And uh, Crimson Gazelle has Ubuntu Firefox open, and that's actually, it's actually Pop! OS, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, And then over on my Pop! OS machine, it has identified my Android phone, which is, of course, on on my same home network as Tan Tiglon (laughs) running uh, Android Chrome. And by the way, if you want to get crazy, you're more than welcome to to just fire up this website on any all of your devices if you want to. Doesn't matter if it's Windows or Mac OS. If it has a browser, you can do it. All right. So what are we looking at here? Uh, Snapdrop is basically a encrypted peer to peer file sharing protocol or service that uses WebRTC. I'll give you a real-world example of how SnapDrop is super beneficial to me in my workflow. So when I go to produce a video for the Linux for Everyone YouTube and Odyssey channels, uh, I've started using two cameras. One camera is just a webcam that's connected to the laptop or the PC, and another is my Android phone. And I've got that kind of up on a tripod with a light, and so I'm working with two different video sources, and sometimes I need to get that one video source, and that second video source on a third other device so that I can edit everything together. Now, I could upload them. I I could use SyncThing. I could employ a number of other tools to get all of those files in the same place to work with them. But it is so easy to just 
open up a browser on every device and you know open up open up a browser on my android phone and send that video file over to the desktop and then open up a browser on my laptop and send that video file over to the desktop and i've done it with uh small mp3s i've done it with documents i have done up to a 4 gigabyte video and as long as you don't uh, refresh the page or close the browser it should be it should be a successful transfer it's really, really super, super simple and incredibly useful. Of course, depending on what you want to transfer back and forth, you know, there, there could be some concerns about privacy. And fortunately, none of your files are ever sent to any actual server. They are only sent between peers. So the peers are just the devices on your own network. And of course, the great thing about this is it is FOSS, it is uh, Libre software, so you can audit the source code for yourself over at github.com, and I will have a link to snapdrop.net, well, I don't really need to link to that, I guess, but I will, uh, I'll have a link to the GitHub page over at the show notes for this episode, which is episode 49, and uh, all those show notes live at linux4everyone.com. And speaking of discoveries of the week, uh, we are getting very close to finishing version, I don't know, 0.1 of the brand new website, which is going to be sort of our hub for written content, podcast, videos, and a forum, among other things. You guys have actually requested a kind of a database, a collection of these discoveries of the week. And I think that's a terrific idea. So you can count on that living somewhere on the website in the near future. Okay, so we are here to talk about Shells.com, which is something that just recently came across my radar. You guys describe it as your personal cloud computer. I think within the radar that I'm normally looking at, uh, you guys had a little tease with Manjaro recently where they were they were uh they were showing Manjaro running on an iPad and of course that got a lot of people's attention and kind of raised eyebrows going what what's going on here exactly uh so i wanted to just have you guys briefly introduce yourselves and say what you do at shells and and then let's learn about it kind of together because um as i was telling you guys uh during the pre-show I actually haven't used the service that much, and so I just wanted to jump in here with you and have kind of a natural conversation about what this is, who it's for, and go from there. So Alex, why don't you kick us off? Uh, My name is Alex Lee, the CEO of Shells. Um, We've been uh, working hard to bring on a strong team, so uh, I'll let Zlatan and Danny introduce themselves, and then we'll uh, jump right in. So yeah, Jason, thanks for having us on today. Uh, My name is Danny. I'm the marketing director. Um, so my primary goal uh, is to obviously educate as many people about our product as possible. You know, I'm out trying to find uh, good sites that that are already talking about virtual desktops, see if they can test our product, see if they can um, find a good use case and educate their audience about shells, collaborating with folks. The main mission of the business is to try to close the digital divide in the world. So hmm. we're trying to provide desktop computers to folks that have devices already that may not have the right equipment for what they want to do. They can use shells to get a high powered computer on whatever device that they have anywhere that they are. 
We're targeting folks like students in schools, allowing for the students to um, access their shelves while they're at school, while they're at home, when they're on their TV, in their living room. Even on their Xbox, on apparently, that. right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, hey, That's if, cool. it, if, it has a, if it has a web browser and it's connected to the internet, you can access your shell. So we're looking for, you know, creative minds. So people that are, um, you know, music producers, um, video editors, things like that. And obviously we have products that we're developing to support folks like that. Pretty much anybody uh, that uses a computer now um, has a use case for shells. So, I mean, that has some some level of appeal to me, even as someone who, you know, <laughs> a lot of people get jealous because they're like, dude, you have like new hardware in all the time. You know what, though? It's not necessarily a smooth experience having, you know, rotating hardware coming into the office because I've got one installation over here and I've got Mac over here and I've got Windows over here and maybe I need to test, you know, this uh, mm. this Android functionality like when you have something like KDE Connect. Always, you're always testing things. You're always trying new experiments and I am an anomaly because I am not really representative of the majority of people out there. I'm a hardware reviewer, so... I'm not the guy or girl who only has like my iPad and that's my main, you know, my daily driver or my Chromebook, for example, Chromebooks are getting huge now. I think the majority of what the, I guess, quote unquote, average PC user is doing now is all browser based, right? And so this seems to slot Mm -hmm. right into that. Yeah, no doubt. I'll let Zlatan talk a little bit about one of our other focuses, which is obviously coders. I'm Zlatan Todorich. Uh, I'm currently systems engineer and project and product manager at Shells. I'm uh, the main lead on the on our systems. So every system that's offered on Shells, uh, I'm working on it, especially the Linux ones. And we are working to collaborate with uh, every single distro that's going to be up. Uh, we have the Manjaro collaboration and so on coming, uh, Linux Mint and uh, OpenSUSE as well. One of the reasons why this is interesting to Linux community is that we don't need anymore to have a specialized hardware or end up setting a lot of things to just debug uh, different architectures and different mm. types of uh, hardware. It's also an interesting way uh, for, for example, like GNOME conferences and KDE conferences, they have like training during those conferences. And instead of just bringing 20 devices specific for something and then installing KDE or GNOME, they can just uh, run up 20 shells in like one minute and uh, <laughs> be done with it. We can very easily tailor OSs to any specific need. And Alex already made a, a pilot deal with a high school in Texas where we needed to tailor a specific Ubuntu image with uh, coding apps uh, already by default there. What I'm curious about is what kind yeah. of devices they're using and what they're uh, what their specific need was, why they came to you guys. The high school is actually a school in Houston, Texas. And we had reached out to them, um, just kind of told them our story. And, you know, we, we did have a connect with, um, you know, an alumni who, who was there. So we had spoken with them. And um, me and Danny actually visited the school about two weeks ago, met with um, a group of students. I mean, this group of students, very talented, you know, they're, they're all going to some amazing uh, schools. Their seniors um, got into basically the schools of their choices. And, and we sat there and we kind of told them about shells. And after we did that, you know, they, 
they started asking us questions, found all these different use cases. I, I kind of like to ex- explain shells as something like an iPad, where, you know, if you think about the idea of an iPad, at first you're like, why do I need an iPad? You know, but then when you talk to like each individual, right? Every single person has a different use case for an iPad from the five-year-old that's watching just cartoons on it to the, you know, the professional who may be using it for all of their work activities, right? So every use case is different. One person might want to do it instead of um, dual booting their computers, right? One person might need shells just because they need to access a specific desktop program on their iPad or on their smartphone. Others might just want to use it just for storage purposes. So, you know, the students were like, oh, yeah, I can, I don't have to worry about sharing my computer with my brother, right? I can, <laughs> I can use, you know, my iPad or whatever and do my schoolwork there, you know? So it, it was an interesting discussion. That's cool. And I, I do know a lot of people um, who use Linux. It's a necessity for them to use Windows on occasion, uh, but they really don't like the dual booting process because either, you know, it's, it's risky. It can, yeah, just depending on what your environment's like. I mean, sometimes you can, uh, lose the ability to boot into one operating system or the other. You might lose data or it's just a time consuming pain that, that people don't want to deal with. You know, I, most people don't want 50 to 100 gigs <laughs> taking up hard drive space for Windows when they're only booting into it for one activity or something. So, and on, on, a, on a related note, I have to tell you guys, out of curiosity, I did boot up a, uh, I fired up a Windows 10 shell. That was probably the best time I've ever had with Windows because I got to skip all of that setup garbage. That <laughs> 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 like the yeah. nine different screens, like, okay, let's set up your network. Hey, do you want to sync with OneDrive? Hey, can we, uh, show you personalized ads? Hey, can we, uh, you know, record your voice and, and <laughs> track your keystrokes? And yeah. <laughs> So that yeah, was yeah. that was refreshing. Uh, so I'm going to ask you guys the same thing that I would ask a cloud gaming service. What kind of bandwidth is required to have an optimal experience? The quick and uh, short answer is it, it will definitely kind of depend on on your use case. But for for the general the general folks who are just getting on trying to do their work or something like that. I mean, basically, you need about 20 to 25 megabits per second, somewhere around there mm-hmm. uh, should be sufficient. So, you know, I've been able to get by with like, uh, you know, mobile um, LTE connections. And with that, I'll take my iPad Air and, and I can basically access everything I need to. The most that you need to have a pleasant experience is optimized at around 50 megabytes. And that's for full screen video. So for full screen YouTube mm-hmm. video, for the usual uh, for the usual work, just like simple interactions or or typing, you don't need more than uh, two hundred kilobytes. It's often like one hundred kilobytes. And if you need to start doing PowerPoint and then do the presentation full screen, it's uh, around uh, five megabytes if you're on four K screen. And web browsing in four K screen is around six to eight uh, megabytes. Video in general is 9 to 30 megabytes. And as I said, like the full screen video, YouTube and browser takes the most. And that's 15 megabytes at most. Especially for the non-graphically intensive stuff. I mean, that's that's bandwidth that most people have on their mobile device. Yeah, obviously we, we don't have, um, you know, cloud gaming is really not um, 
I'll say it would not be a, um, a pleasant experience today just because our machines, we don't have GPUs, but it is something that we are currently in the process of testing and we've purchased a few GPUs and put them into some of our locations. The reason that I was asking you guys that is I spun up a Ubuntu 2010 shell on my iPad as well as on my um, really beefy uh, Falcon Northwest PC that I use for all my production stuff. And I noticed even on just the desktop, um, navigating the desktop was kind of laggy. Like there seemed to be a very perceptible delay between my input and the action. Just for fun, I tried editing uh, an episode of the podcast with Audacity using that shell and the audio was very stuttery. And so I'm wondering if that was maybe some kind of uh, setup error on my end or if it was, you know, not supported hardware for some reason or... There are three things that play issues here. And one is a SPICE protocol itself. So we are mm. optimizing the upstream SPICE to avoid some sound stuttering. The other is latency. So it depends how far away is the server from you. Okay. And the third one is actually the GPUs because most of uh, Linux desktop as GNOME and KD, they require now actually hardware acceleration. So hardware compositing instead of software, if you don't want you know, to have the stuttering. And for example, GNOME is like hard-coded on at least OpenGL 3.3 or something like that. Okay. And uh, because it's not having GPUs, the entire stack is running through LLVM pipe. So everything is inside the software rendering right. and you don't get the accelerations. Okay, well, that's good to know. This may be a really kind of hardcore technical question, but when you install a GPU on these servers, how many customers does one GPU serve? Like how many virtual machines would that support? That would be an interesting thing, I guess, to test. I can't really predict anything without uh, further testing and uh, performance profiling. Okay. But I just, use, yeah, I was just really curious about that. Yeah, we would use uh, rear GL, which basically because all shells are run through QEMU, and we will use rear GL to just pass through directly to GPU hardware. A very strong GPU could probably support a lot of people simultaneously. We can always come back once we have them installed and, and give you an update, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would love to get an answer to that just out of personal curiosity. I think that that might interest a lot of a lot of my audience as well. So you have some use cases listed on the site. Now, obviously, these are more general use cases. And, and as you said, Alex, I mean, everyone kind of has a slightly different need or want when it comes to their devices and, and, you know, what they need to work on or play on. So you have some use cases here like music composition, like using it as a, a digital audio workstation. Is there any concern there about latency? Yeah, there definitely is. And, and so that's one thing that we've, we've actually tried to optimize through some other means, like um, we've developed a native desktop app. So the native desktop app does work a little bit better and it handles some of that stuttering to, yeah, to a yeah. certain extent. It's better. Obviously, it's still not perfect because, you know, I think the GPU is the, is the, you know, kind of the end solution there. But, you know, it, it does get improved. Um, what, what would you say your most popular use case is right now for Shell's customers? That's actually a really good question. 
you know, in all honesty, we haven't really talked to a lot of our customers to this point. Um, there's no doubt that the majority of our customers are Linux-based customers. Last night, I spoke with a customer who was, I mean, he, he basically got shells for, for development, um, solely for development to be able to, you know, test and deploy on, on you know, multiple systems, but just still just stick with his one machine. So, yeah, yeah. I get it, especially for people who need to uh, do such a wide variety of testing. I mean, I understand that I can download the two to four gig ISO and then I can, you know, deal with all the, the technical settings with like VirtualBox or GNOME boxes, or I can, you know, burn it to a stick. And that, like, that's when you're doing that all day long, that's a lot of time and bandwidth that gets just sucked away from you. I do have to admit, it was really nice. To uh, I'm just going to go into my edit pane for for my my shell dashboard, and I mean it's it's as easy as just changing the operating system. By default, when you click change, you can uh, run Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, Manjaro KDE, Manjaro GNOME, Manjaro XFCE, or uh, Debian. And then if you click on Show Beta, which I'm going to ask you about in a sec. You can also add KDE Neon, Kubuntu Desktop, and a couple others, including Linux Mint, to to the party. And that takes like literally a few seconds. <laughs> and then you are booted into the into the operating system. And it's very, very cool uh, just to have that so readily accessible so quickly. You know, I can I can see that being a real advantage for a lot of developers. I wanted to ask you what um, makes one of these operating systems beta. This kind of goes back to, you know, whenever we first started shells and, and identified, you know, a really good use case from the, the Linux side of things, right? Whether it's someone who wants to just test an OS, you know, just like you were saying, Jason, it's, it's very easy for someone to just come in and within a couple of minutes, right? You're using the OS to its fullest, right? But at the end, we're like, hey, you know, we're not the experts with of these individual distros. So that's where we started to reach out. And so, I mean, in the last three months, I, I mean, we've literally talked to and are working with, you know, the, the images for all of these individual distros, uh, Fedora, KDE, OpenSUSE, Manjaro, just like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, Zorin, Nitrix. Nice. You know, um, Pop OS? I think you yeah, mentioned, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Pop OS. Um, we spoke with uh, Neil McElvin at, at, at Gnome last week, right? Yeah. Spoke with Cassidy James at Elementary. You know, I mean, we've cool. literally talked to, you know, not every distro, obviously, but we've talked to a lot of them. So It sounds like you've talked to a lot of the prominent distros, for sure. It's definitely been a great experience just to connect with, with the heads of these different distros and and you know that the common theme is trying to provide a great product for everyone. And some some actually aren't interested, <laughs> which has been interesting. I don't know what their specific reasons are, but I can tell you that uh, I've talked to a few uh, distro maintainers and developers who are a little bit averse at at having someone's first experience of their distro being basically on a virtual machine. Um, and e either the, because maybe it's not optimized for a virtual machine or just because they don't, they don't want it to feel 
to the user like it's not super fast and snappy. And I think that's where some of those reservations come into play. You know, a lot of these distros are nonprofit organizations as well, too. And and how some of it gets perceived with with working with a business. So I think there's some aspect of that too, because you know there's you you see it with the Manjaro um, Twitter replies, right? Where obviously there's the folks that are excited, and then, then there's the folks are that are like, hey, but now I have to pay for Manjaro. What's up with that? I mean, aren't you really paying for hardware <laughs> and not for yeah? <laughs> You're you're absolutely right. But, you know, sometimes people just don't see that, you know, when they first see a message. You know, we would love to make this as affordable as possible. And that's what we are trying to do. And you can see that with our price points that, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we, are, we have very competitive prices. And, and if you compare us to even the likes of like Amazon and Google, who are, you know, large, large companies, you know, our pricing is competitive with them. To those Manjaro naysayers, I would, I would say that if you if you really want to have a look at any of the Manjaro spins that they have, and there's a, there's a lot of them, you can go over to distrotest.net and you can fire up hundreds of different distros. Of course, you're not going to be able to save your data, and you're not going to have very a very good experience because it's a free service. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, they would have to have millions of dollars to support tens of thousands of people spinning up hundreds of virtual machine instances all all day long. I'm not trying to badmouth those people, but the messaging gets really tricky with Linux and free software because some people interpret free as in free beer, and some people interpret it as freedom. And so... <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah, I understand the struggle there. I mean, I, I can, I get that the messaging is probably challenging. Obviously these distros, some of them, you know, they've been around and they, and they know their community best. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been great discussions with these folks though. I've, I've really loved, um, working with them and, you know, and continuing to work with them. So there's also like another plus collaborating with these distros and eventually like they, start sharing some knowledge between them. We had uh, a developer from OpenSue suggesting for Manjaro. And that happened because uh, all the scripts and uh, the build scripts and uh, image scripts and the testing and converting and helpers that we developed, they're all open source. So we all we placed yeah. them all on GitHub. Shells is quite young, so it's not still, it's not even a year old company. And we are slowly gaining the foothold and once we gain even more foothold we believe firmly that other distros are just uh, gonna join because it's for them as easy as just like submitting uh, the script for their uh, own build system or supplying us the image and we just flag it for uh, distribution to our data centers yeah so we yeah. made quite painless the, the the entire procedure how to get on shelves another potential uh, strength of, of what you guys are offering And it's based on my conversation with Jeremy Soller over at System76 yesterday. As a Linux hardware vendor, their customer base is increasingly on the professional side, the business side. So, you know, I would think it might be uh, if I'm a developer or I'm, I don't know, any number of professional scenarios, and I'm thinking about um, getting a System76 laptop. Well, I want to know, okay, they're shipping it with Pop! OS. So what's that like? How is my workflow going to work on Pop! OS? Let's fire up a shell and check it out. 
I keep thinking as I'm talking to you guys about these little one-off scenarios that uh, that <laughs> that I would find really <laughs> useful. You know, if I was stepping in someone else's shoes. If you think about the use cases, there everything is a use case from shells. It's a very broad use case. They want to use it, you know, on phone, on any any device, anywhere. When you have connection, you know, it's a tailored for any specific business. For any specific, you do you need VPN? Do you need you know secure storage? Do you need to take uh, care of uh, media accounts, Alex, or the experience, you know, uh, uh, a need for that? So there's everything is a use case. But like for me personally, also as a Debian developer, as somebody for Linux, I tell this kind of jokingly, but I'm half serious to be honest. So like you know, the the year of Linux on desktop never came, but <laughs> with shells, you know, there's that possibility to come in a bit different way. And then I'm also former city of purism, so there was a lot of talk on convergence there. You know, shells kind of actually achieves, if you think about it, it achieves convergence in a bit different way. You can develop on any of those systems that you know about it, Windows, Android, uh, any of the Linuxes, and we can deploy that to any device at any time. That's another angle for, you know, build once, deploy everywhere. To be completely honest with you guys, I, as a video and audio producer, that's my job. I'm doing that constantly. And considering that I have kind of a rotating assortment of hardware coming through here sometimes, I don't use just one device for my work, which can be very problematic sometimes. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of source files and and uh, project files on my Oryx Pro. I've got others on my Mac. I've got others on my desktop. I've got some stuff over here in Dropbox. I've got some stuff over here in my next cloud instance. And like so many times I do honestly wish that it was just all on one PC that I could access anywhere with any device. I mean, if you even consider like Dropbox, how it increased the productivity and then Google, but this is a step further, you know, it's not just having files in one place. It's having your entire workflow in one place. So, so I just wanted to give you one more example of convergence. Okay. Right. So, so just like Zlatan had mentioned, we have the, the Android OS option and we even went one step further. I have an Android OS on my shell and then I connected it with a VOIP. So now I can take phone calls with my shell, right? <laughs> so now I open my shell's mobile app and I have another phone on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. So the, the I mean there's there's so many ways we can go with this and just like we've all been saying there's so many different use cases and and yeah, it's unique for every single person, but there there definitely is a use for shells in 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 some way in in everyone's life. So Alex is uh, always humble, but he writes uh, things and he wrote a very nice text about e-waste. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, huge benefit with shells. You don't need to just go and purchase hardware every two years or create that, that huge unneeded e-waste. And if you're yeah. even a startup, like startups tend to, you know, just rent a place and then put, you know, 50 IMAX there. And uh, especially now in pandemic, that's a bit tricky. But even before, you need to order, spend a lot of money, wait it to be installed and those kind of things. Now you can spin, you know, 50... Uh, OSs in one minute on shells and not spend uh, money on the hardware and not create a huge e-waste. 
Can you send me that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Here's my account, by the way. I mean, there's I, I have ten shells, so <laughs> I mean, this is like. Can you launch like, uh, all account. of those simultaneously? Yes. Yes. I can launch. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking about I'm thinking about the people with you know triple screen setups, right? Uh, yeah. That might want to be testing something over here on Android and on Windows and on Linux. So what's next for you guys? What uh, what is kind of the the next goal, the next thing that you want to accomplish with shells? You know, obviously we're going to continue to work closely with the distros and do our best to get, um, you know, more and more uh, options out there. You know, we have four or five more in the pipeline that, that we're looking to hopefully launch. And then from there, you know, it's, it's eventually going to be kind of that main step is to go more and more mainstream, you know, try to get, uh, you know, kind of the non-tech savvy folks better understanding why Shells works for them. But for today, um, we're, we're definitely working together with the community to give them the best product we can right now. Awesome. I'm going to avoid saying uh, what your pricing plans are on the show. And that's not because they're too cheap or too expensive or anything else. Uh, it's simply that, you know, people might listen to this two years from now and they could be different. <laughs> but so you have three plans and uh, the the low, the lowest tiered one is one CPU, 40 gigs of storage and two gigabytes of RAM. And then the high end is uh, four processors, 160 gigs of storage and eight gigabytes of memory. But actually, I wanted to suggest maybe you guys could slot in a plan with four gigabytes of RAM. I've done a lot of distro testing and, you know, the, the, the GNOMEs and the, the KDEs, they really need more. They need about three to four gigs to really run comfortably. So we actually do have that, that middle plan. It's just not something that was available on the first screen. So, Oh, okay. Was, I got, yeah, it, it was kind of a way for us to try to not confuse the user who first came to the page. But I mean, I think you bring up a good point and, and it's a valid reason why we should, you know, probably make that plan more visible. We also have the option to spin up a custom shell. Oh, where nice. You can add, um, as much, as much, uh, memory as you want. Can you do um, that with storage as well? It's all kind of combined. So basically you're increasing number of units and then, you know, everything else goes mm -hmm. up incrementally the same way. So, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I would, I would honestly say make that four gig plan more visible just because, uh, you know, I hear from so many people, they have old laptops, right? With, with two gigs of Ram oh. and they're looking for the right distro to run because, you know, the window managers and the, and the graphics side of these modern distros are, not bloated. I don't want to say bloated, but they just need more, especially the second that you fire up a web browser. It's over, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It's really the web browser's fault. Let's be honest. It's not the distro's <laughs> fault. It's the fault of the web browsers. But uh, four gigs will be a pretty good sweet spot, I'd say. So how can people find you guys uh, if they want to you know, reach out and talk to you directly besides going to shells.com? Yeah, yeah. We have it all. So exactly. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Discord. We're, we're also heavily available on IRC. Very yeah. geeky. Yeah. Yeah. We have a strong presence there as well. Too, awesome. So. All right. Well, I'll throw some of those links into the show notes for this episode. And I would invite, uh, I would invite you guys to check it out and 
give me your feedback or, you know, let me know or let them know what you guys think about it, how it can be improved. And um, I'm really curious to hear from you guys what your use case would be for a service like Shell's. We went down to Houston, took one laptop, one phone, and uh, it was it made life so much easier. Uh, basically, we were there for two days, and I was able to backpack the whole trip. <laughs> wow, um, that's a, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just kind of in general, um, just consolidation, making your life easier. Like you said, you know, putting all the data on one or multiple of the shells that we have. Like Alex has a hundred, obviously, but um, <laughs> I've got like maybe four, uh-huh. uh, and then some other ones that I'm testing with. But actually, four of them that I'm I'm using. I mean, you know, the other day, right, I, I went for a run. I, I don't know if you know Rob McQueen over at Endless OS. I don't know if I've talked to him directly, but I think we have shared some uh, emails or tweets back and forth because I did a, an Endless OS preview uh, about a year ago. Okay. So so we connected with Rob last week. And um, uh, one of the nice things about the way Shells is set up is, you know, there's the pre-installed distros that, you know, obviously default that are there, but then there's also the ability to bring in a custom OS. And like uh, Zlatan said that, you know, that's all available, uh, open source, how to go about doing that. And so we spoke with Rob and his team. Um, they they spun up an OS, you know, they spun up an endless OS for Shells. And he gave me the code, right? His, his group put together the OS, sent me the code. I put this code in while I was running. Like you saw, Endless OS isn't on the list for offerings, but, you know, literally just in um, seconds, I was, I was able to, to get this up. So every, so, every distro uh, theoretically has the, the ability to do this? Yes, oh, absolutely. Okay, fascinating. That's, that's one of the really nice things. Let's revisit this in, I don't know, a couple months or whatever. And uh, keep me posted on when you guys add GPUs, because I would love to do a little bit of comparing back and forth on that. We'll make sure to give you a machine with GPUs. It'll be called the Jason Show. Yes. So yes. Make it <laughs> I could use the crap out of that. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. And uh, once again, everybody, it's shells.com. Check it out and give us your feedback. Let us know what you think about it and what can be improved and what you would do with it. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with the team at shells.com. Uh, it is promising, and I, I think that they are very driven to to provide a great service in the near future for us. So last week was my conversation with Bash and Orchid creator Brian Fox. It was a sobering and an eye-opening conversation with him, and uh, I thought this would make a great follow-up to that conversation. I asked you on Twitter if you agree or disagree with this statement. These days, most social platforms and browsers are a far greater threat to our privacy than Windows is. (laughs) A very divisive opinion, and I got some very thoughtful responses. Here's a few highlights. Neil Gompa said, Social platforms are optional. Switching browsers is easy. Switching operating systems is not. If your operating system is doing bad things, it's a lot harder to fix. I slightly disagree with that. Uh, I think that switching operating systems is easier, but that's just a subjective opinion. I think it's more feasible than switching social platforms for some people, you know? 
you, you can't bring those people with you. Um, now, I quit Facebook and Instagram late last year, and I feel like a much saner and happier person for it. But my grandmother is 90 years old, and we talk on Messenger. I'm not going to ask her to switch and learn something new. Uh, I'm not going to leave a place like Twitter because there are 18,000 really cool people that I interact with on there. Uh, A a lot of them are learning about Linux for the first time, and I don't want to just abandon that conversation, that ongoing conversation. But still, I think that Neil's point, the core of the point he makes, is true. Social platforms are optional, and switching browsers is easy. Paul M. had another potentially unpopular opinion, but I agree with him. I absolutely agree with him. This is what he had to say. Linux-based Android and Chrome OS are a greater threat to privacy than Windows. I totally agree. The level of tracking that happens on Android across apps is gross at this point. Here's another thought from Mike LaRue on Twitter. Mike says, you can muzzle Windows with a pie hole or similar DNS level blocking. If you are participating in social media, you're volunteering your information. You can choose to use a privacy respecting browser. The biggest threat to privacy, in my opinion, is mobile apps. Back to me now, back to my thought here. It sounds like Apple's doing something about mobile app tracking with, uh, what is it, iOS 14.5? It has been very revealing to see Facebook's kind of scared response to Apple's uh, privacy moves here. And, you know, what Apple's doing is they're basically saying, okay, we are going to let the user choose whether or not they want trackers to be following them from Facebook to every other place that they're going on the web. And I respect that. Fellow Linux content creator Gardner Bryant says, I would say that Microsoft is quite a threat to your privacy, especially given their near monopoly over the desktop market, they, the explosive growth of Edge, and their aggressive acquisitions. Scott L. had some bold thoughts as well. Uh, Scott said, social platforms are just ad platforms in disguise. And then he goes on to say, Google makes an entire browser and mobile OS that they give away to convince people to use their privacy issue riddled services. Smart speakers? How many stories have you heard personally about private conversations spilling over into Google and Amazon ads? I'm going to close with this one. Robert Adner responded with this. We have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. All right, I think that's going to do it for episode 49 of the show. Thank you very, very much for being here and listening and paying attention and interacting and sharing and, and being a part of this thing. Uh, I, have been, I have been supercharged by all of your enthusiasm and all of your encouragement and um, just the fact that you guys are happy that the show's back and uh, it seems like you're really enjoying the content. But if you have suggestions or criticisms, let me know, okay? I'll be back next week, just me and you, and uh, I'll be answering all of the questions that you have submitted for episode 50, the AMA. And if you want to listen to the prior AMA that I did, that is episode 17. So the last half of episode 17 has uh, the answer, a very detailed answer to a question that a lot of you are asking me, 
which is, how did I end up in Croatia? Now, I'm happy to answer that again for the AMA, but I don't think I can recapture that same um, emotion that I had when I answered it the first time on, on episode 17. So check it out. I'll have a link in the show notes for you. Thank you once again to all 91 of Linux for Everyone patrons who generously support the show with their wallet. And a big, big thank you as well to Tuxedo Computers, who makes this show and all of its content possible. Until next time, you guys take care and take care of each other.